Well, welcome again to South Point. My name is Tanner. I'm on staff here. Glad that you've joined us in person or online. Thanks for tuning in. Before we dive into the message today, I just want to take a minute and just say, how good does the building look here? Yeah, you can make some noise. That's good. Yesterday, over 55 people helped out and contributed um, around this, this campus here. Uh, inside, outside, to help it really look great. We have been blessed to be able to use this not only for our church family, but also for some of the community partners that we have mentioned. And to be able to help them uh, do what they do is really a great privilege and honor. So it's great that we can keep this building up and make it look fantastic. So thanks to everyone who helped out and served. Uh, But the work also is not done. We don't actually plan on leaving walls like half-painted and things like that. Um, So if you would like to help some more, uh, you can sign up at Connection Point on a Connect card. That would be great as well. So just looking forward to uh, what God is going to do uh, even through this space, which is a tool uh, to be used to help people as well. So uh, if you are brand new with South Point, we say this uh, about every week, but why we exist is we want everyone uh, to experience God's unconditional love. And we believe that we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. Uh, right now, what we're doing in our teaching series, we're actually uh, looking at a biography of Jesus, the Gospel of John, that we are teaching through this entire year. And uh, we didn't start at the beginning of the Gospel. Uh, there are actually three parts. We started actually in the third part because it leads us up to Easter. Uh, we, we were led into Easter, and then right now what we're doing is we are looking at the instances and the events after Easter, these appearances of Jesus uh, after his resurrection. We are in this series, we're calling this short series, Because of Jesus, I. And then you fill in the blank as far as what comes next. So we are still finishing up this series right now. I'm also excited about our next series, which will be coming up next week and starting next week. Uh, the, the title of that series is I've Got a Story for You. I've Got a Story for You. And what we're doing is we're looking at the stories in the Gospel of John where people actually met Jesus. And not only are we telling those stories, but actually different South Pointers, different people are going to share their story each and every week uh, for the next six weeks. And I am looking forward to that. I heard these stories this past week. We had a, a run-through and a practice session. It is going to be a fantastic series. I fully expect God to move into work. And the challenge and the invitation for those of us who know Jesus is to write out our own story where we can say, here's what I was like before Jesus Here's how I met Jesus, and then here's how he has changed my life since then. Uh, For you to be able to write and craft your own story, maybe you share this via video or written form or social media, something like that. That is going to be the challenge uh, over the next series as well. So what we're doing today, we're reading the final section of the book of John. So it's in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. It's going to be on the screen as well. So uh, when they had finished eating, this is the final final section of John's gospel. They had just eaten breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He 
answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Now, we actually had talked about this part of the section before because if you remember, before the crucifixion, Peter actually denied even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three different times. And along the way, we, we compared that instance to this instance here, where Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And then he says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. What he is doing when he says that, he is actually giving Peter the dignity of responsibility. He's saying, Peter, I have a job for you. He says, feed my sheep. And then he says this, very truly I tell you, again, still talking to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter himself is going to be martyred for his faith. His life is going to be taken uh, because he believes in the person of Jesus. And Jesus tells him this. Now, you may say, well, that is, sounds like terrible news to him. I would offer a different point of view here. Remember, Peter had just got done denying that he even knows Jesus. He had just finished not acting courageously at all. And Jesus tells him, hey, Peter, I'm going to breathe new life into you, new courage into you. And guess what? You are going to be so strong and solidified in your faith that you will follow me to the very end. And then he said to Peter, follow me. Now, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. That is John who's writing this gospel, the author referring to himself. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? So Peter follows Jesus, and then he sees someone else, and he says, oh, what about this guy over here? And Jesus says, If I want him to remain alive until, until I return, what is that to you, Peter? He says, Peter, don't focus on John. Don't fo focus on anyone else. He says, you must follow me. And because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then John writes about himself again. He says, these, he says this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And John is about ready to conclude his gospel. Now, how do you conclude a story about Jesus? When you think about where John starts his story, John doesn't start his story where some of the other gospel writers do. He doesn't start with the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. John starts before the creation of the world. And referring to Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the word, that he was before the creation of the world, and that, that it was because of Jesus that he helped speak the world into existence. John starts his biography of Jesus all the way back then, and now he's getting to the conclusion. And here's how he concludes his gospel. He says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, he says, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, most weeks, I get up and hear and deliver a message that I have written sometime over the previous weeks or, or months. 
and teach to you about some portion of Scripture. Now, when you write a message, the interesting thing is you deliver it once. I had someone, another pastor, once say to me, it is like writing a song that you only sing once, and then it's done. So this morning, what I'm actually going to do, do something that I haven't done in 15-plus years, is I'm actually going to do my own version, my own cover of someone else's song. Now, it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me how fast time goes, how quickly you grow up. I remember when I was a child, and I, or I was a kid or a teenager, and I told my dad, I said, there's this great song that came out, you need to listen to it. You know, back then, you had to find out, like, when it came on the radio or whatever. <laughs> and I, I asked him to listen to it. He said, yeah, that's a great song, but by the way, that song has already been done decades before, and the original was better. Because the original is always the original. And now, somehow, I grew up, now my songs are the oldies. I don't know when that happens or how that happens. <laughs> and so I will say about this morning, the original, preached by Dr. E.V. Hill, will always be the original. But his sermon that I heard 15, 20 years ago is what I kept thinking about when I read this passage in preparation for this day. He has this message, or the central part of his message is asking this, this question. When do we see God at his best? Like, when do we see God at the, at the top of the ladder? Like, if, if God had a highlight reel, what would his number one play be? When do we see God at his best? Now, some of us will say, well, you know, all you have to do is to open to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and you will see that God created the heavens and the earth, that he spoke them into existence, that there was absolutely nothing in existence. Now, by the way, my mind cannot comprehend nothing. Try to do it. Try to imagine something outside of space, outside of time. Our human mind cannot really comprehend it, and God saw that there was nothing, and he spoke, and something existed. And it says that he created the heavens and the earth. Now you think about the heavens and the greatness of the heavens. I was once told that if I were to pull a dime out of my pocket and hold it at arm's length, that there are so many stars in the sky that my human eye cannot see or comprehend, that that dime at arm's length would be blocking 15 million stars and their solar systems. Do you know how many 15 million is? Like, do you know what a million is? It is a thousand thousands. A thousand thousands to do that 15 different times. And this is what my eyes would be missing just by a dime blocking my view if I could see absolutely everything. It's incredible. That many stars in the sky. Now, I remember taking a road trip with my friend Doug, and we got into an argument. Now, this was before Google could settle any argument. <laughs> we went to a beach, and we were arguing about if there were more grains of sand on the seashore in the whole world or stars in the sky. And Doug said there were more stars in the sky. I said there were, there was more grains of sand 
in the whole world. You think about how, much, how many grains of sand there are in the whole world. Incredible. We live in a small state, and think about how many grains of sand over across all the beaches just in Rhode Island. I mean, when I take my kids to the beach, we try to clean them off afterward. And no matter how much, how much we clean them off, they still bring sand with them. In fact, if you were to ask me, Tanner, are there more stars in the sky or grains of sand in your van? <laughs> I would say in my van, but I would be wrong. There are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on the planet. And that's just the, that's the heavens. Think about the earth and the beauty of the earth. And we have great beauty in our country from sea to shining sea. And even within our little state of Rhode Island, there is great diversity across our state. Some of you say, surely God is at his best when he created things because I go out for a walk in nature. I walk around a lake and yes, I feel so at peace. I had a friend who told me this week that he walked around the lake and he said absolutely no one was there. He said it was like the best thing. And we, we see nature, the beauty, the mountains, the beach. And some of you say, yes, that is incredible. Take me to beaver tail. Let me sit and just observe the rocks and the water. Or take me to my favorite place in Rhode Island, the Mohegan Bluffs on Black Island where you walk down 130 stairs and then you shimmy down the rest of the rocks and you sit there and there's ocean and there's a bluff right there, right next to each other. How beautiful is that? This past week I went to Vermont to visit a couple people and you, you, see, the, you see the mountains just a few hours away here in, from us where we, where we sit right now. We say creation. God created the heavens and the earth Surely that has got to be God at his best, no? Actually, no. Because, here's why. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, God created human beings. In his own image, human beings. And human beings are incredible. I'm amazed at the great creativity and diversity of human beings and all the things that they think of and make. There's so many things that humans have made that I have no idea how it even came to be. You can look in the ancient world and you'll see the pyramids. And I wonder, how in the world do you move like stones that big and stack them on one? How does that happen? How is that even, how is that even possible? Or I, I think of modern inventions. How could you go shopping in a grocery store, scan something when you walk in, just put grocery items in, inside of a basket and then walk out without a cashier and they know how much to charge you. You can do that now. I have no idea how something like that can happen. I'm still trying to figure out how dry cleaning works. <laughs> like in the, in the words of, uh, of Jerry Seinfeld, like me with my fingernail, that's dry cleaning. Like how do you clean something without water? And you think about food. When I have great food, I wonder, how, how did someone think about this? How did they create this? I mean, take a cup of coffee right here. 
Who was the first person to say, let me take this cherry and let's, let's, let's get down to the seed of this. Let's peel back a layer or two and then let's, let's grind that. Let's put it in near boiling water and out pops something magical. Like how, who's going to, who thinks about that? Or I think about humans creating art and all of the artistic expressions that humans have done. I mean, you will see Dustin up here who leads singing and he will preach. You will never ever see me preach and get up and lead singing because I am someone who will throw off everyone by my claps. So don't look at me like when people are clapping. I'm going to throw you off. I'm someone without that talent. I'm amazed when people are gifted in the ways that I can't. I mean, if I'm being honest, when I'm at a wedding, I hesitate to even do the electric slide because I'm always looking at someone like, okay, for the steps that need to be taken at the right time. And when Bethany and I got engaged, I remember taking her right after, the day after our engagement, to see a live performance, a musical performance of one of her favorite shows. And if I'm being honest, I fully expected to not like it. I mean, I'm a sports person. Give me a ball. Give me a score. Give me a highlight. And yet I was there. I was seeing people sing and dance and act all at the same time, and I was glued in. How can someone do that? You think of humanity and all the greatness that God created when he created humans. You see, this is how I feel like I'm unlike probably 98 or 99 percent of people, because 98 or 99 percent of people, they will say, you know what, if I want to be renewed, take me to, uh, take me to a mountain or take me to nature or take me to a beach, take me somewhere away from humans, and I will be renewed. Here's how I'm different. If I want my energy renewed, take me to a city around people and culture and diversity, and let me experience all of this, all of what the city has to offer. Let me, take me there. When God created humanity and everything humanity has accomplished, you think that surely has got to be God at his best. No? Well, the answer is no. Because within that humanity, God had a special people, the nation of Israel. And he says, I want to bless all the peoples of the world through you. And yet the nation of Israel found themselves in slavery, oppressed, without a way out. And then God shows up, and he does the miraculous. This is often called plagues because he was trying to get Pharaoh's attention in Egypt. Hey, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh would not listen. He didn't want his workforce to just leave. So God brought on plagues, and when I read this in the kids' Bible to my kids at home, you'll see that he sent a plague of frogs, for example, where there was frogs everywhere, frogs in your bowls, frogs in your hair, frogs in your bed, frogs all around, trying to grab Pharaoh's attention. And finally, finally, Pharaoh let his people go after, after 10 different plagues, and he gets, they get out the door, out of Egypt, and Pharaoh reconsiders and starts chasing them. And then when he chases them, the, the God's people, the Israelites, saw Pharaoh's army behind them and a body of water in front of them. And then what God does is he actually parts the sea. And you see God doing the miraculous, something like that. And you say, well, that has to be. Those, those miracles are amazing. That's got to be God at his best, right? 
Well, actually, no. Because later, God would come in flesh. That the person of Jesus would put on flesh and skin and bones and the incarnation. And he would come and he would dwell among humanity. The greatness of the God who spoke the world into existence. The author who wrote the story, writing himself into the story. And to do so in the, in the manner that he did is incredible to me. Do you understand the person of Jesus, that he was born of a teenager? That he was born before his parents were married? That in that day and in that culture would have provoked whispers? Would have forced Jesus to wear a label throughout his life? And just when he was a few years old, at the threat of his life being in danger, his family fled to Egypt as refugees. That he would grow up and he would move back to Israel, but Israel was not in charge of Israel. In fact, the Roman Empire was in charge of Israel. But Jesus would live among an oppressed people. Jesus would never have a formal education. Jesus would never write a book. And even when he was older, Jesus didn't even have a place to stay on his own. He lived a nomadic lifestyle. I mean, to me, I'm impressed that undercover boss. I would be impressed if there was a show where Superman dressed up as Clark Kent, right? And the incarnation of Jesus is him taking that to a whole new level that we can't even imagine. We look at the God who spoke the world into existence. Surely that has got to be God at his very best. Well, actually, no. Because Jesus came for a purpose. He would die on a cross. This perfect man and the humility that he displayed would be most displayed when he was dying a criminal's death on a cross. When we're talking about Jesus, we are talking about someone who is a convicted criminal, even though he was perfect, that Jesus, by his death, paid for what he did not deserve. And I'm not talking just in the eyes of the Romans. I'm not talking just in the eyes of the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus to be crucified. No, I'm talking that Jesus paid for your sin and your guilt and your shame. And he paid for mine as well. He died a substitutionary death. He substituted himself for us. And he did so because God the Father loved the world that much. That he sent his son. You see, I have three kids of my own, Addie and Hudson and Charlotte. I also have a lot of nieces and nephews, and actually this past week, or last week, I was able to go to my mom's house and celebrate her birthday with her. I was able to see my nieces and my nephews, and I love little people. They crack me up. They're so funny. I have a one-year-old nephew named Theo, who is stoic. Theo has one expression. When he's looking at you, he just stares at you. 
which is pretty awkward when you see adults trying to make a baby laugh, and he just stares straight ahead. And then when he's in public, then what he does is he actually throws a new move onto this. He actually stares at strangers, and then after a few moments, he just starts pointing at them. Um, you know, sometimes you'll hear, like, people say about, <laughs> about little kids, like, oh, I love their expressions. Literally, my mom said about Theo, and she wasn't trying to say this. She said, I love his expression, singular. Now, I have, I have a beard, so I can make him laugh. He loves to play with it. And then I have a niece named Aubrey, who my brother's daughter, and my brother is a very, very smart individual, Aubrey is like him, and she says some of the funniest things. Uh, recently, this past week, they were getting ice cream. She's three years old, taking <laughs> your three-year-old to get ice cream, and she sees an eight-year-old boy who is a stranger. And she just turns and says to my brother, I had no idea that I was going to marry that boy. And I love my kids. I love my nieces and my nephews. You see, I love each of you in this room. But if you were to ask me to give my child up, my niece or my nephew up for you, I don't know that I love you that much. But Scripture says that our God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He so loved the world that he gave, he so loved you that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Surely God was at his best when he sent his son to die for you, right? I should know. And the reason is because we've seen people die before. We've seen holy people die before. Abraham died, Moses died, David died, they died. And in fact, in the words of E.V. Hill, we have seen footprints, we have seen tracks that lead to the grave, that lead to death, but only Jesus, only Jesus has footprints and tracks on the other side of the grave. He conquered death. That Jesus looks straight at the last enemy to be conquered, death. And he says, I have victory over you. He was crucified for our sin, but he is raised for our eternal life. And we look at this. We look at the resurrection of Jesus and we say, this has got to be, this has got to be God at his best, right? Well, maybe. I mean, I believe that in the crucifixion, in the resurrection. And I see this, and I notice this. This is where I have my belief and all my hope. But honestly, thinking about the greatness of the resurrection of Jesus conquering death, that is so great that it's hard for my simple mind to absolutely comprehend. In fact, I believe that it is easier for me to comprehend how a dime can cover 15 million stars than for me to fully comprehend what happened when Jesus conquered death. So we see what is God at his best. Maybe it's what happens next because after Jesus was resurrected, 
We see this in the book of Mark, that the angel tells Mary Magdalene to go tell the disciples and Peter about the resurrection. The disciples and Peter, I mean, why, why and Peter? Peter was a disciple. Why? That doesn't even make sense. But we see this conversation recorded in the book of John that I read today where Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Peter, the one who had just denied even knowing Jesus. And Jesus comes to him, and he, here's what you would expect someone to say. Well, Peter, hey, guess what? I have some great things planned, but here's what I know. I can't trust you because you messed up, so you're out. No, Peter, why don't you run along? Let me, let me, let me focus on the people who did not actively deny me. No, Jesus doesn't have a conversation with Peter like that. What does he say to Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three different times we see the God of the universe going to someone as ugly as Peter, as arrogant as Peter, as two-faced as Peter, and he says, I want to have a conversation with you. And here's what the conversation is about. It is about how much I love you and how I have an assignment for you. In spite of your past, in spite of your brokenness, I want you. The God of all the universe coming down and saying this. And I believe that there could be people right here, right now, or listening online that say, you know, I'm worse than Peter. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe wants to have a conversation with you? This is God at his best. Well, actually, no. You want to know when God was at his best? Thirty years ago, this April 21st, a little boy from a small Midwestern town Had it was having a nightmare. I felt like I was in danger. And in the middle of my nightmare appears the person of Jesus. And he saves me. And I woke up in a sweat with my heart beating. I woke up realizing that I was far from perfect, but that Jesus had the answers. And I woke up and I said, this Jesus, I've got to be with him. I've got to be with him. God is at his best when he is saving people. He is at his best back then when he is saving people. Don't you know that our God wants to save people? He wants to do it now, and he wants to do it again and again and again and again. Don't you know that we have a God who will take an addict and turn her into a leader? Don't you know that we have a God who takes a cynic and turns the cynic into an encourager and into a helper? Don't you know that we have a God who takes the most arrogant person and turns that person into a selfless servant? Don't you know we have a God who redeems people and he wants to do it over and over and over again and he wants to do it today with you? See, it is because of Jesus 
that I have experienced the very best of God. That he cleansed me and made me whole. That he saved my soul. You see, I've got a story for you. And I suppose if every such story were written down, the world wouldn't have enough room for all the books. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up. We're going to sing one more song. We're actually going to sing the song that we started with, uh, I Thank God. And this song is all about a person who is hopeless, wandering through life and can't find fulfillment. They're broken, but then they meet Jesus. It says he picks them up and he puts them on solid ground and he fulfills them and changes, transforms their life. And honestly, if you're a follower of Jesus, this song is your story. This is our, each and every one of our story. And so as we sing this, I want to encourage you to think about the moment when God found you, when God was at his best for you, when he called your name and he lifted you up and he set you apart. I think it's so easy to get lulled to sleep by our day-to-day -day lives that we miss the magnificence, the power, what God has done, how amazing it is. And so I'm going to encourage you to lean into that this morning when we sing this. I truly believe with all my heart that anyone in this place who is a Jesus follower, man, we have a reason to sing this morning. And so I'm going to encourage you to think about your reason to sing and then sing. Sing this. Wandering through the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this bag of bones. And I try with all my mind, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. Come on, sing. It just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know. And he told me that I was not alone. He picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because he healed my heart. And he changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior. I thank God. I cannot deny what I see. Got no choice but to believe. My doubts are burning like ashes in the wind. 
so, so long to my old friends. The burden and bitterness, you can't just keep it moving. Cause you ain't welcome here, no. Come on. From now till I walk the streets of gold, I sing about how you saved my soul. This way was son, it's found his way back. Oh, oh, oh. He picked me up, he turned me around, and placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior. Cause he healed my heart and he changed my name forever free I'm not the same I thank the master I thank the savior I thank 